Section 21 of Monday Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Monday Tales by Alphonse Daudet. Translated by Marion McIntyre. Section 21. A Turco of the Commune. He was a little drummer of the Tirailleux Indigent. His name was Kadur. He came from the tribe of Gendel, and he was one of that handful of Turcos who dropped into Paris following the fortunes of Vinoy's army. From Wissembourg to Champigny, he had served through the campaign, crossing one battlefield after another like a stormbird with his iron snappers and his derbuka, Arabian drum. So full of life he was, he seemed to be in so many places at once that no bullet knew where to take him. But when winter came, the little bronzed African, glowing under the fire of grape-shot, could not endure those nights at the outposts and the hours of immobility in the snow. One January morning he was picked up on the bank of the Marne, writhing with cold, his feet frozen. For a long time he remained in a hospital. It was there I saw him for the first time. Sad, dumbly patient as a sick dog, the Turco gazed about him with wide-open, gentle eyes. When someone spoke to him, he smiled and showed his teeth. This was the only reply he could make, for our language was unknown to him, and he could scarcely even speak the Sabir, that Algerian patois composed of Provençal, Italian, Arabian, made of that strange medley of words which time has gathered like seashells along many a Latin shore. To divert himself, Kadur had only his derbuka. From time to time, when his weariness was too much for him, the drum was brought to his bedside and he was permitted to play upon it, but not too loudly for fear of disturbing the other patients. Then his poor dark face, so lifeless and dull in the yellow daylight, and amid the dismal wintry surroundings of the street, would grow animated again, covered with grimaces, as he followed the rhythm of each movement. Presently he would beat the charge, and his gleaming white teeth would show more and more, and he would smile ferociously. Sometimes his eyes moistened as he beat a Musulman morning serenade. His nostrils would quiver, and breathing the foul air of the hospital in the midst of files and compresses, he saw once again the groves of Blida, laden with oranges, the little moriscas coming from the bath, enveloped in white and perfumed with vervain. Thus two months passed. During that time much had occurred in Paris, but Kadur had not the slightest suspicion of all this. He heard the troops passing beneath his windows, weary and unarmed, the guns paraded, rolled about from morning till night, the tocsin, the cannonade. Of all this he understood nothing except that war had not ended, and that as soon as his limbs were healed, he too would be able to fight again. At length, one day he set out, his drum upon his back, in quest of his company, and he had not long to search. A group of communists passing by led him to the place. After a lengthy examination, as nothing could be gotten out of him except frequent repetitions of Bono Bezef, Machache Bono, 
the general of the day finally presented him with ten francs and an omnibus horse, and attached the turco to his own staff. In the various staffs during the commune, there was a little of everything, red blouses, Polish jackets, Hungarian jerkins, sailors' coats, gold, velvet, embroidery, and spangles. With his blue coat embroidered in yellow, his turban and his derbuka, the turco added the finishing touch to the masquerade. Overjoyed to find himself in such company, intoxicated with the sunshine, the cannonading and the turmoil of the streets, this confusion of arms and of uniforms, persuaded, moreover, that it was the war against Prussia that was being prosecuted with such inexpressible license and vigor, this deserter, who did not even know he had deserted, mingled naively in that great bacchanal of Paris, and was the celebrity of the hour. Wherever he went, the commune hailed him and feasted him. It felt such pride in possessing him that it exhibited, placarded, bore him about as though he were a cockade. Twenty times a day the place sent him to La Guerre. La Guerre dispatched him to the Hôtel de Ville, for it had been so often observed that their sailors were no sailors at all, their artillery make-believe. This, at least, was the real thing, a genuine turco. To be convinced of the fact, one need only look at the lively fizz of the young ape, and the savage strength of that little body rushing from place to place on his huge horse, pirouetting, capering about as if performing a fantasia. One thing, however, was lacking to complete the happiness of Kadur. He longed to fight, to smell powder. Unfortunately, under the commune, as before under the empire, the staff saw little of that, except during the time when he was parading, or busy upon errands, the poor Turco passed his time on the Place Vendôme, or in the courtyards outside the war department, or in the midst of disorderly camps full of barrels of brandy always on tap, and tubs of bacon which had been smashed open, eating and drinking bouts following close upon the famine of the siege. Too true a Mussulman to take part in these orgies, Kador held himself aloof, remained tranquil and sober, performing his ablutions in a corner, making his couscous with a handful of semolina, and after drumming a little upon his derbuka, would roll himself up in his bournous and fall asleep upon a stone step by the light of some bivouac fire. One morning, in the month of May, the Turco was awakened by a terrific fusillade. At the war department all was commotion. Men were running, fleeing. Mechanically he did as the others were doing, jumped upon his horse and followed the staff. The streets were full of terrified buglers. Whole battalions were in utter confusion. Pavements had been torn up to form barricades. Evidently something extraordinary was going on. As one approached the quay, the fusillade was more distinct, the tumult greater. On the bridge of La Concorde, Cadour lost sight of the staff. A little farther on, his horse was taken from him. It was for an officer, whose kepi boasted eight stripes. He was in haste to witness what was happening at the Hôtel de Ville. Furious at losing his horse, the Turco proceeded to run towards the thick of the fray. 
Rushing on, he loaded his chaspeau as he went, muttering between his clenched teeth, Machache bono, Brissian. For all this tumult meant to him that the Prussians were entering Paris. Already the bullets had begun to whistle about the obelisk and in the leafage of the Tuileries. At the barricade of the Rue de Rivoli, the avengers of Florent called out, Hello there, Turco, Turco. There were not more than a dozen of them, but Cadour was worth an entire army. Standing upon a barricade, gaudy and proud as a flag itself, leaping, crying, he fought amid a shower of grape-shot. The cloud of smoke rising from the earth lifted for a moment between two cannonades, and he could see red trousers massed about in the Champs-Élysées. Then all became confused again. He thought he was mistaken, and let the powder speak once more in choicest accents. Suddenly the barricade was silent. The last of the artillery had fled, dispatching its final volley. But the Turco never budged. In his hiding place, ready to spring, he adjusted his bayonet firmly and waited for the pointed helmets. But what was this he saw? The line advancing? He heard the heavy tramp of the soldiers marching at quick pace, and above that, the voices of officers exclaiming, Surrender! For a moment, the Turco was stupefied. Then he advanced, his gun held aloft. Bono! Bono, Francaise! Vaguely to his savage brain had come the idea that this was the army of deliverance, Féderbe or Chanze, for which the Parisians had waited so long. How delighted he was! How he laughed, showing all his white teeth! In an instant the barricade was crowded. Men surround him, push him about. Let us see your gun! It was still warm. Let us see your hands! They were black with powder. The Turco displayed them proudly, and still with that fine, expansive smile of his. Then they shoved him against a wall, and bang! He died without once suspecting what it all meant. End of section 21. Recording by Linda Johnson.